One Sabbath, Jesus was walking through some fields of grain. His followers began to pick some of the grain to eat. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Why are your followers doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and, he and those with him were hungry and needed food? During the time of Abiathar the high priest, David went into God's house and ate the holy bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And David also gave the bread to those who were with him. Then Jesus said to him, said to the Pharisees, The Sabbath day was made to help people. They were not made to be ruled by the Sabbath. In the other books, it will say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3. Another time when Jesus went into a synagogue, a man with a crippled hand was there. Some people watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath day so that they could accuse him. Jesus said to the man with a crippled hand, Stand up here in, front, in the middle of everyone. Then Jesus said to the people, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they said nothing to answer him. Jesus was angry as he looked at the people, and they felt very sad because they were stubborn. He said to the man, Hold out your hand. And the man held out his hand, and it was healed. Then the Pharisees began making plans with the Herodians about a way to kill Jesus. Okay. What do you make of that? Any questions, kids, from that? Anything you want to ask? No? Okay. So it's quite clear here, isn't it, that the Pharisees and Jesus don't see the Sabbath in the same way from both those stories. It's also clear that as a result of these exchanges, the Pharisees are angry enough about Jesus' viewpoint on the Sabbath to want to kill him. And that seems like a pretty strong reaction to us, doesn't it? To, to, to want to kill him. What was so annoying to the Pharisees that they wanted to kill him? You think about it now, think if, if Bola's gone now, but if, if me and Bola got into an argument, I'm not going to go, hang on, Dele, you come here, Kate uh, and, and Adam, we're going to go and do in Bola because we don't agree with him. It, it doesn't make any sense, does it, to, in our context? Well, to try and comprehend this, and their reaction is still crazy and unhinged, <laughs> but we need to know a little bit more about the Sabbath. We, we, we talk about grace and love and prayer, but we don't often talk about or realize that the Sabbath or rest is a recurring theme right through the Bible from the beginning to the end. Sometimes it's obvious and other times it's not. It's not obvious. I'm just checking to see if I've... No, I haven't. Good. Because <laughs> I haven't written my slide numbers on my preach this week, so I'm now winging it. And now my paper's sticking together. There we go. So we have to look for it sometimes. The mere fact that we read the Bible in English and not the original Hebrew can sometimes be a block to us getting a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding of what the Scripture's trying to tell us. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't affect our salvation or anything because we don't know Hebrew. But we only really sometimes get the main idea. We, we, you know, we get the gist of it, but not the intricate detail. Um, and I've spent this week learning about this, and it's vast. 
literally vast, this subject, because it's, it's spoken about in different terms, it's, it, and it's the same thing. And I've been listening to, I, I really recommend it, if you, you want to listen to literally 14 podcasts on, on, on Sabbath and the different aspects of it, uh, go to thebibleproject.com. Um, there's a guy that's a really good theologian, uh, his name's Tim Mackey, you might have heard of him, you might not have, uh, and he, him and his, uh, his, his friend and pastor John Collins, they, they do these podcasts, um, they're Americans, and this is Tim, the, the sort of, now he looks like a sort of a, a studying bookish type guy, doesn't he, that probably's got, uh, you know, more brains than I've got, this is, this is Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, but when you listen to him, he doesn't sound like you think he's going to sound. To me, he sounds like this guy. Garth from Wayne's World. He literally sounds like Garth. He's like sort of calling people dude and stuff like that. It's like Garth from Wayne's World teaching you theology. But, but it is good. It's just That's my silly thought. You might think, I don't know what he's going on about. But... but that's, to me, what he sounds like, but it's really good. So if you're interested, go to thebibleproject.com, put Sabbath into the search, and a load of stuff will come up. And it's, it's, it's pretty much blown my mind this week. It really has. The subject, learning about the word interplay in the Hebrew. And you, you look at that, and there's no way it's impossible for a human to have come up with that, with, with one language, and done it in such a way. Not even an, an, an AI portal could come up with it. And it's left me to think, God is a genius. I'm not, I know we know that, but he literally is a genius. Just looking at the, the words in the original uh, language, and you think, how, how did you come up with this? It's mind-blowing. Um, it is to me anyway. Maybe I'm thick, but, <laughs> but it, no, it is. He's, he's literally, it was a newsflash. God is a genius. Um, <laughs> what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Or, when's the Sabbath? Can anyone tell me when the Sabbath is? Dad, you're not allowed to answer. When, when is the Sabbath? Someone put your hand up. Jamming. Every Sunday? Mm, maybe not. No, not you either. I'm not you. You're, you're not allowed to say. Anyone else? Alia. Oh, that's a really good answer. Starts on a Friday night, but it's a Saturday. Now, you might be thinking, so we're here on the wrong day. <laughs> but we're not. Because the Sabbath and the Lord's Day aren't the same thing. That's a separate thing. It's close, but it's, it's not. Um, what is Sabbath? What is Sabbath? Why is my clicker not working? Oh, what is the Sabbath? When is the Sabbath? Saturday, the last day of the week. I thought Sunday was the last day of the week. Not in the Jewish calendar, it's not. What is the Sabbath? Oh, I've given it away. Shabbat. That's the Hebrew word, Shabbat. Dad, you're not allowed to answer. Um, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> what is Shabbat? Um, what does Shabbat mean in English? Anyone got an idea? Mm, sort of, yes. Yeah, but... There's a more stricter thing. Kids, you were doing it earlier. There's a clue. <laughs> no, Maria's, Maria's spoiled it. 
Um, it means stop or cease. That's the literal meeting, meaning. Stop or cease. But many times throughout the Bible, it's also synonymous with another word, which Jamin alluded to. Rest. Rest. Because the, that other word in Hebrew is a word called nuach, which is like noach, which is Noah. Noah means rest. Nuach is, the, is the, the, the word, the verb, if you like, that Noah's name came from. But it comes from the same root word as Sabbath and another word that we're going to get to in a minute. So it's stopping or ceasing from work. You, guys, you kids were working, weren't you? Jumping around, doing funny walks, all that kind of stuff. Were you tired? You must have been tired. I was tired looking at you. But you got something good at the end of it. You got to stop and you got a sweetie. <laughs> the first time the theme of the Sabbath is mentioned uh, in Genesis is in Genesis. Genesis, oh, that's good. Genesis 1, that's what it says in the top corner. Um, Genesis 1, the start of creation. Kids, what's creation? Anyone know what creation is? Any of the kids? Alia? Jamin, Jasiel? Anyone at the back? No one wants to say. Huh? What is creation? Alia? When you create something. But what about creation in terms of God? Go on then. When you make something, but what, but what did God do? Jasiel. Oh, he's hiding. <laughs> Go on, Josiah. God made everything, including the, the world. Oliver. The what? The world, yes. Well done. So God created in six days the universe and the earth we live on, and the earth we live on. That's a lot of creation. But then it says, if you read Genesis 1, it says that God rested. Now remember we said the word rested, nuach. That's not the word he used in this one because he changed it. He used the word shabbat. God shabbated on the seventh day. So he interchanged it. And God, God rested, he shabbated on the, second, on the seventh day. And then it says that God blessed, oh, whoops, God blessed the seventh day, Shiva. That's the other word I was talking about. So seven, Sabbath, and rest all come from the same root word, and God uses them interchangeably to mean the same thing. This is just the tip of the iceberg, I'm telling you, because I, I can't put it all into, into what I was listening to this week. They're all interlinked and they're all synonymous. Um, since seven is the number of completion, completeness, wholeness, it's no coincidence that the Bible says God rested when he completed his creation on the seventh day. It all links together. Now, we don't often see the actual Hebrew word, uh, sorry, the English word of Sabbath mentioned and, uh, from this point up until Exodus 16. This is when, I won't read it now, this is when, they were in the, the Israelites had come out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, they're hungry, and God 
sends down manna and quail from heaven uh, to feed them. They're hungry, and they were to gather it twice on the sixth day. Why did they gather it twice as much on the sixth day? And it, so they could rest on the seventh. Yeah, they had to rest on the seventh, so they had enough food to eat on the seventh day. They didn't have to go looking for it. Why? Verse 16 says this. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. And then the Sabbath appears again in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. For the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, neither your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor the foreigner residing in your own towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So God's just expanded there the Sabbath into every week of the Israelites' lives, like a rhythm. You know, we, see, we talk about rhythms in Cornerstone, and one of them is yielding the good fruit of rest. You might remember that one um, in the why of rhythm, if you've heard of that one, the Cornerstone rhythms that we talk about sometimes. Later in, in, this, later in Exodus, though, God says anyone that works on the Sabbath should be put to death. And cut off from their people. The Sabbath must continue. says the Sabbath must continue being observed even in ploughing and harvest seasons. So going back to our scene with Jesus, we're seeing these scenes: the Pharisees and Jesus in the grain fields uh, and in the synagogue. You might be thinking, "Hang on a minute, these Pharisees have got a point. Jesus has broken the Sabbath." Jesus has sinned. That's why they want to kill him. But he hadn't. First point to make, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong, here or ever. Jesus knew the Torah and the prophets and taught from them. He didn't have the New Testament like we do. He taught from the Hebrew Scriptures. Apart from, apart from Israel being occupied by the Romans and the, and the puppet kings, which is the Herodians they mentioned at the end there, that weren't actually Israelites, they were Edomites. Um, Israel was governed religiously by the teachers of the law and the scribes, and they were part of separate parties, like, like religious thought and practice. And you've guessed it, it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You might think, what, religious parties? Well, we kind of have that in Christianity. We have the Baptists, the Methodists, the Evangelicals, the, the Pentecostals and the Catholics. So it's, it's similarly understandable. These were parties, like ruling parties. Um, the, the great government was called the Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. About 71 members, and there was localized, smaller Sanhedrin in, in some of the towns and cities. Are you keeping up with this? Are you, are you with me? What would they do? They, they, would, they, they, they would teach people God's word. But originally, they were so concerned about people breaking the, 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 the Torah that they put what they called hedges or fences of protection around God's law to prevent people from sinning. 
these laws were their own extra laws that were originally designed to stop people breaking the law, the actual law. They taught that because they were learned men who'd studied the scriptures and they were able to determine what the law meant and how they should be applied, what should be done, what should not be done. They created so many laws, there were extra laws, there were hundreds of them. There were things like, you cannot tie a knot on the Sabbath. You cannot undo a knot on the Sabbath. You can only walk so far on the Sabbath. Loads of things that were just way, way, way too heavy for the people to carry. And when someone didn't follow their laws, they told them they'd sinned. And they either had to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice, or they had to be cut off from their people. They were in the sinner's bin. Jesus said about them, verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. That phrase, lay them on people's shoulders, Jesus was referring to a, a phrase that, that, that most of the Jewish people would have understood. Because when you followed a rabbi, it, you were said to be under the yoke of a rabbi. And the yoke is what you would place on cattle. And you would usually have two. An older, more experienced ox and a second, less experienced ox. And as they move slowly with this yoke on them attached to the plow, the older ox would be showing the younger ox how to plow, what the ways of this thing was doing. But Jesus is saying about them that they weren't doing that. They were putting this yoke on people and leaving them to it. They couldn't help them if they stepped outside of the Lord. If they actually sinned, they couldn't help him. They just said, well, you've sinned. Rabbi Jesus was different. He was the polar opposite. He said to them in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, Shabbat, Nuach, for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see the, the way this is linking up? Don't get me wrong, Jesus wasn't making up new laws here or, or bringing about a different religion to the Jewish faith, not at all. In fact, when he says, rest for your souls, he's quoting the prophet Jeremiah in 6.16. That's why Jesus taught, he taught from the scriptures, but taught how it was supposed to have been applied, not how the rabbis applied it. And in doing so, a bit like that bit with Jeremiah, Jesus was like, that would have sprung up in their minds. It would have been like, a, you know, like someone sends you an email and you've got like a little link, like a hyperlink you've got to attach and you, attach and you click on it and it goes ping. And that's what Jesus was doing when he was saying some of these phrases to them. He knew how to apply it correctly. I'm going to get a glass of water because I'm starting to get croaky. So what we're seeing here in these two scenes in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, about the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, whenever we see this in the Bible, something seems to kick off. When you hear Jesus going, uh, as you hear the sort phrase, and on the Sabbath, Jesus, and you show, uh-oh, here we go, something's about to happen. It seemed every time Jesus was teaching 
going somewhere on the Sabbath, some opposition was about to come his way. Something was going to come against him. Um, and in the first account here in Mark, we're, we're seeing the Pharisees accusing Jesus, allowing his disciples to harvest on the Sabbath by picking grains of corn. Now that sounds pedantic, doesn't it? But that's what they were saying. You're harvesting, Jesus. Your disciples are harvesting. You're letting them do it. They're working on the Sabbath. They were saying Jesus was an unfit rabbi for allowing them to do it and not a legitimate teacher or a guide. He could have said, don't be so picky. This is hardly harvesting. Pointing out, you know, um, sorry, I'm lost here. You're taking the Sabbath laws completely outside of what it was intended. He could have said that, but he didn't. In the next verse, which we've read, he turns it, the unfit teacher remark, back on them by pointing out their lack of complete understanding of the Torah. Jesus ties them up in knots every time. It doesn't matter how many times they challenged him, Jesus made them look stupid because he knew it better than them. And this is why you read in the Bible at one point, um, it says they didn't ask him any more questions after this because they were fed up of being made to look like wallies. No, Jesus turns it back on them. And I'm going to paraphrase it here. He says, hey, guys, have, have you even read the Bible? Bible teachers? That's what he's just said to them. Have you, even, have you not read in David, uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures, that David went into the temple? Have you not read this? talks about David entering the tabernacle and taking the consecrated bread that was for the priests to eat, not anyone else. And he gave it to his friends, none of them who were also priests. I'm going to do an explainer on that in a second. In the other account, we read Jesus has gone into the synagogue with the guy with the shriveled hand, and the Pharisees attended also. They spent their whole time watching him instead of taking part, instead of going up and reading things. They were watching to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Is healing working? ministry is that what they were pulling him up for you can't heal on the sabbath it's against the sabbath rules again trying to discredit him but he already knew what they were thinking he says is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do bad to save a life or to kill it what jesus is saying here and is that although the Torah has lots of laws in it, they could be, sometimes be overridden by higher principles of God's character, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The Pharisees have just been reminded by Jesus that the like laws of not to work on the Sabbath could be overridden by the sanctity of life. That's at the heart of God, isn't it? Preservation of life, saving a life would supersede laws. It makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. God's heart as a father who both provides and heals. And we see from a, a, another statement here um, from Jesus on the first account, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing to mankind, an absolute blessing to, to mankind. Trusting God from taking a day off from work and trading won't make a lack of food or ill health go away, will it? Well, it won't if God is a pedantic, rules-obsessed tradition stickler. 
But that's not what our Father in Heaven's like. It's not what Jesus is like. It's not what the Holy Spirit's like. He's, he's Yahweh Yaira, God our provider. He's Yahweh Rapha, God our healer. Why would God not provide and heal on the Sabbath? It makes no sense. So God will apply his spirit, his nature, to the written law without diminishing his holiness. Indeed, James says in chapter 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. I think I've probably... Yeah. Right. You're still with me? Okay. This will bring praise to his name for those who've trusted him. That God's provided for me on the Sabbath. We heard of people talking about being provided for healing this morning, didn't we? They trusted in God, God's provision. After saying the Sabbath was made for man, not the man from the Sabbath, Jesus then says something particularly staggering to the Pharisees. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. If they didn't want to kill him before, they certainly did now. By calling himself Son of Man, you see it a lot in the Bible, but he's referring to a messianic figure here. He's referring uh, as being Lord, even of the Sabbath. Something these Jewish leaders had failed to recognize in the writings of the prophet, Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man was the Messiah and God himself. It says the Son of Man will go before the Ancient of Days and will be given glory and power and authority and the nations will worship him. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that made the Sabbath. The very scriptures you think you're going to find life in are talking about me. I'm the one who made the the Sabbath holy. The rest comes from God. I am the Sabbath. I am the rest. You're looking at it. This thing that well, you've been doing Sabbath all these years as a, as a thing and all the festivals that all point to Sabbath and rest, it's pointing to another rest as well, the greater rest. You're looking at it. And by saying he was God himself, yeah, they probably want to kill him because they didn't get that bit in Daniel. They didn't expect that a man could be God. To be fair, I don't think many of us would have done. Adam and Eve, right back at the beginning again. They, they, they worked in this rest in the garden. Worked in the rest? That doesn't make sense. They did before the fall. That's what they were doing. They were working, but it wasn't toil. In the, he says, God made man out of the ground, and he, some translations will say he placed or he put the man in the garden to work the ground. What word were they translating into English from? They were translating the word nuach, which means what God actually said was God rested the man in the garden to work the soil. What's resting and working at the same time, what's that like? It's a bit like the best job in the world where it's not really a job because you're enjoying yourself so much. Can you think of the best job in the world, what that might be? Cleaning, cleaning out your horses. And riding them. 
Yeah. For me, it's a footballer. I'd, if I'd have been paid to kick a ball around, I'd be over the moon. I mean, it's too late for me now, but, you know, that would have been the best job in the world for me. Adam was working in abundance. It's like God had said, oh, come on, look after the garden. He's, oh, I've dropped a seed there. Oh, wow, look at that. Oh, where did that come from? It's like God's constantly providing. The garden was this heaven-on-earth experience where Adam's work of, oh, just go and name a few animals, Adam. You know, he loved it. He was naming stuff. That's what they threw away. God's rest. That's what they threw away. It was so wonderful. It wasn't like you were working. It wasn't wearisome. It wasn't exhausting. God's provision and abundance is there. Causing everything to fall into place. I was thinking earlier, God gave me a picture of a cherry. I like cherries straight off the tree, not the glazed ones, the fruit. And you eat them, you think, wow, that was nice. And then you get hold of, what's that? And there's a whacking great pippy inside it, isn't there? And you think, oh, throw that away. No, that's the sign of God's provision. Because what he's done is another seed, so that there's always going to be more. That's what God's goodness is like. He's in the goodness. He's provided something extra, so that there's going to be more. Your goodness is running after me. <sighs> Where am I? Got <laughs> a bit off beam there. Um, the Israelites were taken out of toil in Egypt, right? Freed from slavery in Egypt. To, promise, to a promised land. You remember in Joshua? And it said, and God, what them on all sides? Rested them on all sides. There was rest in the land. Shabbat, Nuach. It's again there. There's loads more. I won't try and pull it all out. The theme of God's rest is going through the Bible, but it's pointing to a culmination of the ultimate Sabbath, the ultimate God's rest, only found in Jesus. But Jesus told people about it right at the start of his ministry. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is the name, another name for the year of the Lord's favor? Jubilee. Seven times seven. Oh, the Shabbat's coming back in and the rest and, and, the, and the completeness. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing a new year. We're in a new year. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the kingdom. This is it. This is what everything's been pointing to, where I'm going to restore all things. I'm going to restore uh, my people to me. I'm going to send it out into the world. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to raise the dead. It's going to change from here. The toil isn't going to carry on. We live in this now, in a now and not yet. We live in the rest of Jesus. You can live in the rest of Jesus today. So that when you're struggling in life and going through the trials of life, you are working from a place of rest. But you've got to spend time with the one who is the rest. And yet there's rest to come. Joy unspeakable. And then he went sat down after this and he said, today this scripture has, has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's been fulfilled in your hearing today as well. 
His rest is available to you every day. He leaves his presence with you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Yeah, they did. As I said, the Sabbath and Jesus tends to trouble follows it. They tried to stone him afterwards when he said this. They took him out to the brow of the hill, didn't they? When he said a bit more about them not not listening. Um, But yes... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It also reminds you when you look at the things in, in the Greek scriptures. You know when Jesus said to, to Peter, uh, Peter said to Jesus, how many times should I give my brother? And he said seven times seven, or he could have said 70 times seven. There, there's a debate over what he said, but let's say there's sevens involved. Hebrew mind would clock that. You just go, oh, 490. No, no, no. Jesus has said, you will forgive your brother completeness by completeness. That's what it meant. There's no end. Fullness. Fully. And referring back to Genesis, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, This was the culmination of everything Jesus was doing since Eden. So God was doing since Eden. The reset of history. Adam talked about a reset. Jesus was resetting history. Everything that's gone before. The, 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 the curse of sin. The curse of constant slavery to toil and pain and sickness. Jesus was resetting to Eden. That's what he was saying. I'm bringing you into a rest like that. Restoration of the relationship between man and God. Perfect, complete rest. But there was only one way to bring about this rest. The sacrifice of a spotless lamb. And the resurrection of a lion. And in doing so, he provides all who are weary and heavy laden to enter that Shabbat Sabbath rest. Not by works, not by keeping the rules and the requirements. He did that much for us but by faith and trust in his complete and finished work. You can live in this favour and rest now. It's available to you today. It's available through the Holy Spirit, and in him, he makes us able to work from that place of rest. It's also in the yet to come, as those who've placed their trust in him, as we look forward to this complete rest, in glory and in heaven and on the new earth. Jesus brings rest. So if you're not feeling rested today, if you're not feeling like, what is this Jim's talking about, this utopia with all, everything that's going on in my life? Come to Jesus. He said, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, we can pray for you today. If you're feeling, you're, like Florence said earlier, that people's spirits seem to be down when we started worship. Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you Shabbat rest. I will give you what you need and it will sustain you. So if that's you, if, if you feel like, man, I, I, something that's been said in what I've rambled on about has, has touched you and you want some prayer, come forward. 
this Jesus, this Saviour, this, this Messiah, this Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of you today. That as you start this new year, despite your troubles, despite what you're going through, you can live in rest and experience the power of that rest. In the name of Jesus. Amen.